0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 to 40. Let's say together a prayer as we hear the word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God being children of the resurrection." And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Praise the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. Uh, Good to be together always to worship Him. Uh, I do not take for granted what a privilege it is to be a part of this community of faith. And I trust that if you are new to us, that you are learning to see who we really are and discerning perhaps the ways in which God may call you to be a part of this community of faith. And so I encourage you uh, to speak to myself if you have questions about who we are and what these Nazarenes are up to. Uh, We love Jesus. We want to change our world. We're optimistic about what God can do in this present life as we look ahead to the life to come. Amen. We are not just buckled into the eternal jet waiting to take off to heaven, but we are living as faithful followers of Jesus in the present so that when that time comes, we know what eternity feels like. That was a lot. Sadducees were counterparts to Pharisees. We probably, if we were in Sunday school, any length of time growing up in the church, we have heard jokes about the Sadducees are sad, you see. But the truth is, we don't really know much about them. After the temple is destroyed in 70 AD, they kind of vanished from the religious landscape of Israel, and we know much more about Pharisees. Josephus, a historian, refers to the Sadducees on occasion and tells us a little bit about them. But they were different to the Pharisees even though they shared the power of uh, the religious council of their day in the early centuries called the Sanhedrin, they kind of went the power of that ruling religious uh, council went between Pharisees and Sadducees. and interestingly, in our text, the Sadducees don't show up until later on when Jesus kind of enters the Jerusalem and uh, enters Jerusalem, enters the temple. and from what we know from Josephus, Sadducees were uh, different to Pharisees because they didn't believe the same things and they were more aligned to the religious elite, they were kind of elitist. Perhaps one would also say, based on the evidence we have from other biblical, from extra-biblical sources, that the Sadducees were kind of the modern-day intellectuals. They didn't believe in angels, neither did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but rejected the rest of the writings. In particular, they did not believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. They are not grouped in with the Pharisees because they don't share the same perspectives. Pharisees embraced all of the Old Testament, and Pharisees believed in an afterlife. And so it's interesting to us when we study this text that why are they showing up with a question about something they don't truly believe in? And they reference a story, an absurd question to Jesus. There's this woman, she's married, her husband dies, she has no children. According to the Leverite marriage practices and custom, she would then be married by the brother, and, and, and his responsibility was to take care of her, protect her, provide for her, ensure that she has justice, and they tell the story that is really an absurd story, perhaps to make their own point that there couldn't be possible, plausible ways of believing in a resurrection. The woman marries, the husband dies, there's no children, and on and on it goes until she's married all seven brothers. And then the absurd question... In the resurrection, who will she be married to? Now, some of you may be saying, Stu, you should have chosen a different text on a day you spoke about the significance of marriage through the testimony we just had. But I'm going to suggest to you that there's a lot more to this particular story than a comment that Jesus is making on the value of marriage. In fact, I don't believe he's actually addressing that directly at all. You see, uh, In the the Old Testament, uh, the custom of Leverite marriage, even though in our Western mind we may say, we may look at this and critique it and analyze it and say, you know, the the woman was kind of treated like property, which is true. In a patriarchal culture, she was treated as someone that is to be owned by the male and, and passed on with the sole purpose of providing an heir. And in our Western sentiment, we may critique that and say, man, that is a a brutal way to think about what it means to be a woman, but that is the biblical narrative. But underpinning marriage in the Old Testament was two important values. The first value was this, to ensure the protection and security of a woman in a patriarchal culture when her husband died who was responsible to care, provide, and protect for her. So in some senses... When the Sadducees speak about the significance of marriage, they are speaking about something even though uh, probably not the way we want to do it and do it today, uh, was intended to provide a security, a measure of justice and protection for the woman in the event that she was left destitute without a husband. The woman described in this particular text is in particular destitute because she has no children, no male heirs. She has no one to stand up for her, be there for her and provide for her. And so in some, way, some ways, this leverite marriage practice is intended to provide a, a security for a woman that would be destitute in a culture unlike our own. The second underpinning value of this Leverite marriage practice is that the man, uh, who is a Sadducee in particular, did not believe in the resurrection, but they did want their legacy to continue. And they saw marriage as the means of living on beyond their own human existence. In other words, even though they did not believe in resurrection, they thought that if I have kids and I have sons in particular, I will live on. Hence the emphasis in a patriarchal culture on the importance of male heirs, and so there's a sense in which when we understand that the Sadducees are approaching Jesus not with a modern sentiment understanding of marriage, but a understanding of marriage that is rooted one in justice and protection and also in longevity and extending one's legacy, you understand that when they pose to Jesus a question about marriage that does neither one of those things, they are asking a lot more than simply whether it is a good idea to be married or not. And Jesus responds to them in a way that I think is interesting. Uh, He (laughs) He kind of you know, says that, suggests that uh, the way in which you think about security in this life and living on is not the way it's going to be in resurrection. In fact, Jesus says, and, and can, I, can I just say this to you, Kirsten, it's gonna get good the last three minutes of this sermon, so just stay with me. I, I wanna I want make a point here. I, I, I want you to hear me very clearly before I say some things about this passage first. This passage doesn't answer questions about who you will be married to one day when you go to heaven. Neither does this particular text ought to be used as a means of defining for us what the context of heaven is. Jesus is responding to a question by suggesting to these people asking this question that the ways in which you actually think about human life itself, both in its security and in its purpose, is not what it will be like one day when you die. The problem with that is, is that for most of us, we've been conditioned to think marriage is the ultimate goal of life. And we put an incredible emphasis on the importance of finding a spouse. Those who are single, perhaps because they lost a husband, or those by choice who are single, those who are saying, "Uh, I haven't yet found the right person, Uh, I want to say this to you, marriage does not make you more Christian. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. You see, in our culture, we emphasize things that Jesus doesn't emphasize. It doesn't mean that Jesus says marriage is not important. What he's ultimately is saying is the things that you are seeking from that human system of marriage cannot heal what only God can heal. I want you to hear the illustration. It's very hard to preach on, but I'm going to try my best. You know, I always punch above my weight class. The illustration that Jesus uses, is one, or that the Sadducees uses, is one of barrenness, a woman that cannot bear children, and death. Man after man dies and no life. The fact that Jesus would respond the way he said to to the Sadducees and say, listen, the way in which you think about life itself is is a way that cannot heal what only God can. In, In the very structure that you think will give you life, you cannot find it. For indeed, life only truly comes from the living God himself. So whenever in life you search for that which is truly the purposes of God for our life, in other ways it will not heal what only God can give us. Because deep within the heart of each and every created human being is a desire to live the life that is promised that Jesus has offered. To have a life that does not be, is not measured by how good a spouse you have, though that is important, neither is measured by how many children you have, but is defined by a God who says to us, I have come that you may have life and have life abundantly. You know why I like the study we did? Are you still with me? Am I making sense? In my own head, this makes a lot of sense. It's amazing. I'm saying amen right now. This is good (laughs) stuff. Keep going. I like the title of the marriage seminar, the marriage course, because as Vicky so well said, uh, it's marriage in light of eternity. There's something more at stake than the human relationship. There's something greater to live for than the intimacy that human friendship and perhaps married relationship can offer. In fact, throughout the scripture, we are taught to understand that when God offers himself, he offers himself to us in a full way that only he can offer us. So when Jesus responds to these Sadducees who ask a question about resurrection that they don't believe in, Jesus is taking the opportunity to teach them about the more to life that they are yet to know and believe in. So in other words, when they approach Jesus with this absurd question, Jesus says, "The way things are. Right now, and the ways in which you try to secure yourselves, your lives, and to live on will not last, but in the resurrection, the systems that are fallible and inadequate to secure what you long for will be swallowed up by God himself, for God is the one who protects, God is the only one who can secure, and God is the only one that can give true life. Come on now. Come on now. Woo. Woo. You know, when God, is, uh, when God is primary in my life, I, uh, and he is the source of my life, I don't look for things in people that they can't give me. Come on now. When God is at the center of my existence, I'm able to love people the way I ought to love them and not demand from my spouse that which she's incapable of offering me. Come on, man, give me an amen. When God is the source of my life, I'm not seeking life in ways that are fallible and inadequate, but I am learning to live as one who has a hope in this present world, that no matter the circumstances, or the suffering, or the challenges, we believe in a God of resurrection, that life is assured for those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord. I need to get a witness on that. I'm through page three, and I have four pages. (laughs) Without resurrection, without a belief in what Jesus promises, marriage was the primary means of ensuring life through childbearing and became the only measure of living on through children. Resurrection that Jesus offers is not derived from the kind of relationships that the ancients and the Sadducees in particular understood as essential to life itself. When I was preparing this sermon, I I, I couldn't help but thinking of a a famous line from one of my favorite movies. Uh, Never get involved in a land war in Asia but only slightly less well-known is this, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And the reason I thought that was because I thought that these Sadducees should have never, they should have never got involved in, 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 in a discussion with Jesus because what was not known to them is that the Messiah himself is the one who has the power to bring life, and he is the one that would die and prove resurrection to be, a reality. So some people say to me, Does the resurrection matter? In fact, someone asked me recently, Could we get away with just believing metaphorically or symbolically that Jesus rose and didn't really die? The Apostle Paul would put it this way We are most pitied as followers of Jesus if we don't believe in an actual full body resurrection. The Greek word to speak of resurrection in the New Testament is a word that speaks about a physical resurrection. Can I just say this to you? Uh, I, I want to deconstruct some poor ways of thinking. We are not dualistic. We're not Gnostic. We don't believe that when we die, our we uh, spirits just kind of somehow miraculously survive. We actually believe, the biblical witness tells us this, when we die, we fully die, and we are fully brought back to life. Body, mind, spirit, all of us through the power of God himself. You see, this is what Christians believe. This is what the Bible attests to. And so, what do we do with the Scripture that challenges us to not rely upon the ways in which we often try to secure our own lives? And how does the Scripture challenge us to believe in this resurrection hope that we have? I think there's two ways that we can receive the Word today, and, and, and here's my attempt at it we must first be honest about the false ways in which we try to find security in life. Some people, they try to do it through accumulating as much monetary security in this world as they can. We think that our retirement funds and, 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 and having a lot will be the source of comfort and security. In fact, some of us might, might tend to say, you know, Stu, I, if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be such, I would be such a better Christian. In fact, I've heard this said, you know, if I just had a little more, I'd give more. <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, some of the, some of the ways in which, in which um, we, we try to secure our lives is, is through material things, possessions. But then there are some of us who, who try to live on uh, through our children. No amens? Their successes are important for the wrong reason. We, 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 we tend to read the scripture and say, you know, it's so archaic, you know, these statues, <laughs> but, but you know, this is this, I think this is the sentiment of our modern world. You know, there, there's this, this idea, we don't really believe in that afterlife, hence the fact that everything in this world must heal all it possibly can. And can I be honest with you? children don't always grow up to meet our expectations. Illness deprives us of any security we may think we may have. Economic downturns changes the fortunes of many. Investments sour overnight. The things of this world, this is what we've believed throughout history as those who are followers of Jesus, the things of this world are to be enjoyed for what they are, but they cannot give us what only God can give us, for our life is found in Him. So, I'm finishing. I only have two points today. Come back for the third next week. If we discern the false ways we are tempted to secure our life, we must repent of those things. I think in one sense Jesus is saying, the life you are searching for only comes from God himself. And so if if we are to believe in the resurrection, there's a a wonderful phrase that I love. It's, 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 It's learning how to practice resurrection in this world until the resurrection comes fully. You see, the the kind of faith we ought to have is the kind of faith that doesn't lose heart no matter how hard life gets. I've said this before and it resonated with some of you, which makes me think I should say it again. Some of us are still not convinced that God doesn't owe us a better life than the one we have. You know, the scriptures repeatedly remind us that in this life we will suffer. You know, some of the songs we sang, Bob and team, just thank you. Those are such good songs, good, honest, true biblical songs. That kind of doesn't say, let's just escape in our minds to some spiritual cozy place, you know, with a nice cup of coffee and Jesus across from us and we're happy. But it's the kind of songs that says sometimes life is hard and and, and, and and challenges come and people disappoint and sickness enter in and, and there's 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 confusion and hurt and pain and, and there's all kinds of things that feel like death is setting in, and yet the scripture offers us this hope. That death does not win. <laughs> let me <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, let me read, let me read 2 Corinthians. Here's my second point. I've been told to have points. I don't want to be pointless. <laughs> Therefore, we do not lose heart. Just hear that. Are you losing heart? Been discouraged? Do not lose heart. Though outwardly, listen, listen to Paul. We are wasting away. Now, when you're young, you don't think this is happening, but every minute you're getting older. You know, I'm at the stage now, and I get out of bed. I'm not even wondering why something hurts that I didn't exercise or do anything with the day before. You laugh. You know, one of the ways we try to, 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 to live as long as we can is we take care of our health. We should do that. But there's a false narrative that we tell ourselves if we think that exercise and diet alone can secure an eternal life. (laughs) You know, here's here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this. He's saying, outwardly we are wasting away, but those who have this resurrection power in them... (laughs) inwardly are being renewed day by day. Now listen to this, folks. Listen to this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. The word glory, the word kavod in the Old Testament, is a word that connotes this heaviness, this denseness. You know, when the, when the, the denseness of the, 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 the presence of God enters the temple, it literally fills every crevice, every space. It is so big. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. The current suffering, the Current challenges, the current problems, even the things that are just way heavier than we can carry does not compare to the weight of the glory of God in our resurrection life. In other words, it's like a scale. He's saying whatever you're feeling is kind of just so far powerful and more powerful than you. Whatever you feel is overwhelming you in this world. When God resurrects, he tips the scales because his power, his glory, his very resurrection power is greater than anything you will endure. My friends, My friends, my friends, do you believe that? Paul's not done, and neither am I. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father God, thank you for your word. All right, so it's such a privilege to, um, to stand before your people and delight in your word. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be more than just hearers and, and, and people that enjoy good songs and music and, and these things all bring glory to you, but that we would take deep within our hearts your life, your power. You have breathed your spirit into your people that we may have life and have life abundantly. I acknowledge this morning that there are those amongst us for whom today feels heavy, Maybe the burdens are there that no one else knows. The challenges are there. The yearnings are there. The disappointments with people are there. The expectations that are unmet are there. Life seems tough. We've been there. For those of us who are in a good, gracious, open space of life where we feel that things are going well and couldn't get better, Father, we remember those times when we've been brought to our knees and say, God, how will you, and why have you not? Your Word speaks to us irrespective of the circumstance of our life and beckons us, calls us to put our faith in the God who has overcome Satan, sin, and death. And in Him we find our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As, we, um, as Bob leads us, and... Uh, as we begin to uh, conclude our service. Uh, I invite you to, uh, to respond to what God has been saying to you. We always have these prayer altars as a place of kneeling. For those of you who are not able to kneel, you can stay in your seat, or you can come to the front, and our pastors who are here, Pastor Larry who is back there, Pastor John and Ann who's here, some of our leaders, would love just to sit with you, talk with you, encourage you, perhaps today, you need the incarnate love of God to be spoken to you through a person. And uh, we invite you to kind of do that, to, uh, to make use of this time. For those of you who just want to rejoice because God is good, amen? God is life. Today you heard what you needed to hear and you can kind of go out of here and go, man, no matter what I face, <laughs> I know my God is greater. Uh, I want you to stand and sing from the bottom of your hearts as we continue to worship now.
0: Listen to these words. And the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who'd come to the fathers are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and his name and his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.